If you're a fan of the paranormal world, then you'll love WLTKDB Talk Radio. Talk shows bringing you the latest on everything paranormal, cryptozoological, metaphysical, true crime, psychic readings, and more. The truth is here and now on WLTKDB Talk Radio at WLTKDB.com. Welcome to the official Cryptids Anomalies and the Paranormal Society's podcast. I'm your host, Barnaby, and you're listening to Whispers from the Dark. ...of Whispers from the Dark. I am your host, Barnaby. Joining me, my co-host for today is Ma. How you doing, Ma? I'm good. Good. Uh, we are uh, getting set for a big event up here in June, uh, the Marinette Menominee Bigfoot and Paranormal Convention. And uh, today we have a very special guest with us. Uh, he is the uh, keynote speaker of this event. He is a cryptozoologist, uh, has studied everything from Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Chupacabras, Mothman, Thunderbirds, Dogmen, Werewolves. He is the co-host of uh, the History Channel's Missing in Alaska, along with appearances on Monster Quest, Ancient Aliens, and all kinds of other. The list just goes on and on. It is a true pleasure to have you on the show, Mr. Ken Gerhard. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to see you both, and uh, thank you so much for having me on today. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, the the honor is ours, man. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you, it's uh, it's really cool. I've got the pleasure to meet you as well as my mom in person mm-hmm. at a couple events uh, last year. So now, That's uh, right, we did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We get to actually uh, work together uh, in June now, coming up in um, Michigan. Cool. So- I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that event. I know we've had a couple of years of, you know tragedies and things that we've had to deal with it's been really rough on all of us and uh certainly uh you know very sad but i I do look forward to finally getting getting up there and working with you guys so cool you got a lot of events coming up this year i was looking at uh some of the stuff you got coming up too um yeah so it's it's good that we're we're all kind of getting back out on the road (laughs) yeah things do, do tend to be normalizing a bit which is good so um yeah i'm enjoying although last year i did about 15 conferences or events around the country so i mean i guess you know we were able to navigate to some extent you know but uh but for for sure always a good time mm-hmm. so uh coming up in june on june 4th you will be the speaker and uh you're going to be talking about uh one of your books the mm. uh the essential guide to bigfoot right correct i uh, typically when it's my first time at an event i like to kind of particularly if it's a bigfoot uh, event or an event that, that, you know, includes Bigfoot. Um, yeah, I like to talk about that. Um, so yeah, I'll just basically be going over some of the main, uh, points in my book, the essential guide to Bigfoot, if people are not familiar with it, but, uh, you know, we can certainly talk about that a little, you know, we don't want to give too much away. We want people to come out and, and, and hear the lecture, but, uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess basically the main point is 
you know, I'm not an expert in Bigfoot. Um, I don't call myself that. Um, if anyone calls me that, it's a TV producer or something out of my <laughs> control. But, um, you know, not, none of us are really experts in Bigfoot because we haven't discovered it yet. So what, you know, what I like to point out is that we're speculators. We do a lot of speculation and conjecture, which is fine, uh, using the best information that we have. But, um, you know, everyone has a different life experience, of course. And, um, you know, from my own perspective, um, I've been investigating and researching Bigfoot since I was a little kid for about 45 years. Um, and I've traveled and done Bigfoot field research all over North America from Alaska, here in my home state of Texas, uh, you know, Florida skunk ape. I've been to the Bluff Creek film site. I've been all over the, you know, all over the country. And I've even investigated some Bigfoot like creatures down in Central America, which we can talk about that because a lot of people don't realize the sightings extend that far south. So I've done a lot of field research through the years. I've interviewed hundreds of witnesses and I'm, I feel very blessed to have worked with most of the leading Bigfoot investigators in the field that people will, will have heard of. And, um, and I like to, you know, I'm a very science minded guy and I like to look at things as objectively and critically as possible. So my perspective of Bigfoot is, you know, I've never seen one Barnaby. So I tell people I'm not a hundred percent convinced they exist. Um, I am convinced they exist. I lean, I lean in that direction heavily based on my life of experience, but you know, until I see one myself, I can't go a hundred percent. Um, but you know, basically I just like to give people and particularly with my book, The Essential Guide to Bigfoot, it's kind of a primer or an introduction to the subject of Bigfoot, because I know a lot of people are just getting into it in recent years, thanks to Finding Bigfoot and other popular TV shows. And, um, you know, I just I, I want to present the reader the most objective, accurate information and different theories and, you know, perspectives and kind of let them decide if they want to you know make up their own mind about what they think if bigfoot exists and what it is and and so on and so forth so that you know that's basically the book i i have a chapter on all the the scientific aspects assuming bigfoot exists that we'd have to address i have a chapter on the history of bigfoot research which i think is very important because there's been a lot of evidence gathered for decades and it's important to look at all of that and the people that, that investigated bigfoot i have a chapter on sociology because i think the archetype of Bigfoot, uh, you know, the wild man, the big, hairy, giant wild man is something that's culturally significant and has a lot of uh, cultural and um, psychological um, uh, sort of angles. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I talk about, you know, their eyewitness accounts and my old field research. So yeah, it's kind of a well-rounded book, but, you know, basically I'm going to be presenting the audience with some basic data you know, so scientifically as possible. I, as a cryptozoologist, I look through all of these mysteries through the prism, the lens of zoology. And so that's kind of what I'm going to be presenting the people at the conference. And, you know, hopefully it'll make for some good discussion. Absolutely. And then we also have the panel at the end of the show with uh, you and uh, myself and the rest of our uh, mm. guests, which would be Sheetan Noor, Allison Jornlin, Mary Sutherland, uh, that's everybody. And you. And me. I said and me. I know. <laughs> I know fun. you thought you were missing somebody, oh, but oh, yeah. it's you. <laughs> and we oh, also. Hell. 
Panels yeah. are fun. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So we're we're gonna uh, skip all the Q and A's till the end, so that we can all address it as a group and and kind of have like a nice long discussion at the end. So that'll be fun. Good idea. I like that. You know. So uh, I want to talk about something that you don't. Uh, I mean, you don't really always talk about. And that's uh, what we had to. <laughs> Scary. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you uh, you had to preempt today's uh, recording for a little while because mm. um, you you got to work at the uh, San Antonio Zoo, correct? That is correct. Yes, <laughs> I appreciate you working with me today. We had to bump everything back an hour. Mm-hmm. It is our busy time right now. We're getting the spring break, and the weather's getting nice and stuff down here. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm a, I'm actually a docent, which means that I'm a volunteer educator. So I've been there about seven years, and um, I basically just uh, volunteer time each week and go in and I uh, I interpret exhibits for people. So when people come in and they're looking at a bear, I step in and kind of give them some information about that bear and just different things to think about, bear facts and. Um, you know, there's always kind of a, a pro-ecological message about what people can do, you know, because zoos are very much about conservation. That's a big part of our agenda. So we want people to think about conservation and preservation of habitat and stuff. So, um, yeah, so I was up there. It was a busy morning and uh, I got to bounce all over the place. Now, I should tell people uh, I do live, obviously, here in San Antonio, Texas, Um what many people don't realize about the San Antonio Zoo is that it is the only zoo in the world that has ever mounted an official expedition to search for the Yeti uh, or abominable snowman of the Himalaya back in 1957. And this is because we have a guy, we had a guy here in San Antonio named Tom Slick, who was a millionaire and uh, uh, was a brilliant guy, scientist and inventor and, you know, very knowledgeable in a lot of fields. But anyways, he was very interested in the Yeti and Bigfoot uh, uh, later on in the, in the late 50s and uh, sponsored some expeditions to search for both the Yeti and Bigfoot. He organized the first Pacific Northwest Bigfoot expeditions that included John Green, Rene DeHinden, Bob Titmus, Jerry Crew, and all those guys, uh, Peter Byrne. And so, um, yeah, so in 57, Tom Slick wanted to go search for the Yeti, and he was on the board of directors of the San Antonio Zoo, and so he got them involved and stuff. So they didn't, they didn't find a Yeti, unfortunately. Uh, I'm sure the zoo would have happily <laughs> taken a Yeti on uh, the grounds, but... Um, they did find some footprints that were interesting and possible scat or droppings. And um, uh, Tom Slick almost died when one of their vans rolled over on a mountain road. So, I mean, that was kind of scary. But um, yeah, so the San Antonio Zoo has that bit of history with the Yeti. And we also have some history recently with the Chupacabra, which is a, um, you know, mythological creature, of course, from Texas and Latin America. And we've had a chupacabra display for about a year and a half now. Uh, I don't want to give too much away in case people want to go see What do they got on display that's a chupacabra? It's well, definitely on my bucket list, I tell you here. I was showing you before, I, I got the pin from 2020. They released this little uh, pin thing, and it's a medallion, and it's got chupacabra uh, on it from the zoo. Yeah. And Commemorative chupacabra <laughs> medallion. That's yeah. true. I, uh, yep. 
I had to buy those for Lauren Coleman and some others because all just said, <laughs> wanted those. Um, yeah, so it's a big part of our history. But, you know, for example, and your listeners will probably have a lot of different ideas about what they think a chupacabra might be. It's a very confusing cryptid in terms mm -hmm. of lots of different descriptions and stories and things. But at least here in terms of Texas, um, the animals known as chupacabras here in Texas, the very first one was shot by a chicken farmer outside of San Antonio back in 2004. And this was a guy named Devin McAnally who I've interviewed. And um, something was killing his chickens and according to him was not killing them in a way that he had ever seen before. He was used to coyotes and bobcats and raccoons and other predators killing and stealing his chickens. But according to Devin, something was coming in and killing his chickens and drinking the blood or exsanguinating the, the blood from the bodies and, and not eating the meat or the flesh, which is really weird. And then about that same time period, he began seeing a strange animal roaming his property. He said it was on four legs, had a weird bluish gray color, uh, long tail, kind of rat, like a giant rat or something. And uh, he shot it and took pictures of it and no one could identify it at first. They didn't know what the heck it was. And um, eventually someone here in San Antonio saw the photo and said, well, that's El Chupacabra. That's what that is. And uh, especially since it's drinking the blood of your chickens, supposedly. And um, yeah, so that, uh, that animal, which was called the Elmendorf Beast originally, Elmendorf is the town where it was shot. And uh, I've examined the bones of that particular animal. But the Bowens, before I ever examined them, they were taken to the San Antonio Zoo <laughs> and uh, examined by because they, you know, they wanted to get an ID on this animal. So they they had dug up these bones. Devin had buried the body after he killed it. And then they went back later and dug it up. And if any of your listeners are fans of UFOs, uh, UFO phenomenon, the guy that kind of spearheaded that excavation and got the bones to the zoo is this guy named Whitley Strieber, who wrote a book called Communion. And he's a big name in the ufo field he's from san antonio as well so um uh yeah that's the the story so the san antonio zoo has a history with the chupacabra but you know even if we had never had the bones of such an animal at our zoo by the way it was identified as a as a known species so it's not as quite as mysterious here as people think um but you know because we have a big uh one of the things i love about living in san antonio is it's a very festive city uh, the, the predominantly Mexican-American population, they have a lot of festivals and fiestas and different things. And so during our, our spring-summer fiesta events last year, they did the Chupacabra exhibit and they actually had me come out to the zoo and, and talk about the, the Chupacabra legend to, to the zoo visitors, which was very fun. And um, to me, kind of important because you know, people talk about how science or scientists reject cryptozoology and cryptids and all that whole thing. But, you know, the San Antonio Zoo is a uh, aquarium and zoo association, AZA associated um, establishment. It's a recognized accredited scientific establishment. And they were having cryptozoology lectures there. Uh, and I've done cryptozoology lectures there before, but that's it's kind of cool now that you know I have an, an actual scientific platform, and they they don't uh, 
you know, grab me and throw me out the door or anything. They let me <laughs> stand there and talk about it. So um, good stuff. So have you looked into, so I got to, I got to preface this with saying that my favorite cryptid is the Chupacabra. Ah, so that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's got a lot of, it's got a sinister quality to it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Why do you like the Chupacabra? No, no, no. By all means. Why is that your, why is that your fave? I, I don't know. I think uh, when I was in high school, like I did, or no, not even when I was in elementary school, I actually did a whole um, like research paper on it when it was the, the, first you know the in 95 and stuff like that when it was you know first becoming el chupacabra and 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 all that when it when the name was coined and all that okay. and stuff yeah, so I, I was really into it back then and, and it just kind of went on from there but um so i i've talked to you like when I, when i first met you i asked you like your opinion on the chupacabra so the the texas one yeah <laughs> you don't remember that <laughs> No, I remember I, that. I probably do. Yeah. I get asked these things a lot, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Texas huh? one. Okay. It was it was you and Adam Davies sitting at a table. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I walked up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um so what is your hmm, what is your opinion, I guess, on the Chupacabra? Because there's there's not just the the Texas one. I mean, you have these these reports and stuff that go back to Puerto Rico. And everyone is familiar with like uh, I, I for one, you know, you were on Monster Quest, uh, looking at the the Quero, Texas Chupacabra. Yeah, that's right. And that one, all right, I'll give you that. That thing is definitely, you know, the DNA test, the hybrid. Um, I was a Mexican wolf and a coyote, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that thing, I mean, that is is not. It's a it's a living animal, right? It's a it's a hybrid and stuff. Yeah, it's, but, it's been DNA tested so... and identified. <laughs> But from from your perspective of looking at like the the zoological side of this stuff, how do you justify the fact that these things are killing animals and not eating them? You know, because if this thing is a uh, coyote or a, a wolf, and they're eating these animals, they're they're killing them to eat, not just for sport or whatever. So when when you're looking at the Quero Texas one, um. I'll, I'll give you that that thing is the one that maybe did it or whatever. But when you look at the Mexican ones where these whole farms of, of chickens are going dead, do you still think that that's the same thing? Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's good questions, Barnaby. Um, okay. So here's <laughs> the thing. All cryptids, in my opinion, are pretty much cases of what I refer to as composite identity, meaning that there's a bunch of different things that are kind of being put together in one basket and called mm-hmm. one thing. The name Chupacabra means goat sucker, of course, in Spanish. And the first thing I tell people is that keep in mind that the name does not describe a physical description. It describes a behavior. So it's not as specific as people think that one thing has to be a Chupacabra. It's anything that drinks the blood of a goat, right? Also, there are big cultural influences here because in uh, Latin America, the name Chupacabra is basically just like a monster, you know, a vampire, a monster. So it, you know, in different countries, there are different interpretations of what it's supposed to look like Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So that's the thing here in Texas, these animals that have been called Chupacabras and you mentioned the one out in Quero, Texas. And I mentioned the one down in Elmendorf, Texas. I've examined actually half a dozen of these animals after their carcasses uh, and bones 
Um, they're all canids, they're dogs, without a doubt. Not all of them are coyote wolf hybrids. The one that I have the remains for in my freezer was <laughs> DNA tested and it turned out to be a domestic dog that was just a feral dog. Some are coyotes, some are feral dogs, some are wolves. All of those species are pretty closely related anyway, so I don't know if that means a big thing. Why do they look so weird? They're hairless, they have dark bluish gray skin, they have long, super long fangs. Sometimes they have other physical deformities that we've seen. Um, lots of good questions with regard to that. But let's get back to your point on your question, which is why are these things not eating meat? Or you know, why are they killing chickens? Because we do hear that a lot. Both Devin McAnally and Phyllis Canyon described to me the same behavior with their chick, uh, the same situation with their chickens, which was basically something was killing their chickens, but not eating them. Um, and they interpreted that as, but it was drinking the blood, which I don't know, there's no definitive proof of that, but I've known Devin and Phyllis for years and they're both pretty smart people. Um, so there's a couple possible reasons why they might not be eating the chickens. One is that they're very sick. These animals are diseased or have some type of congenital situation. Therefore, they're not able to chew, which takes a lot of energy. So the instinct to kill is there because they're hungry. But then once they kill it, they don't have the strength to then tear it apart and eat it. So that's one possibility. They just, you know, half mm -hmm. a, you know, well, I don't want to use the word. I don't know how <laughs> if your show is PG or 13 or whatever. But it's whatever you want to be. <laughs> they're half-assing it. Yeah, they're all right. Half -ass, they're half-assed dogs. Okay. The other thing is, and this is an interesting theory that Phyllis brought up, and Phyllis is a nutritionist. For, that's what she does for a living. She speculated that maybe these dogs, these animals, are, uh, they are, again, they're sickly, but they're craving certain nutrients that they're not getting mm -hmm. naturally. And one of them would be like, for example, iron, which is a very, which is found in blood. And so if they're iron deficient and they're craving that and they kill a chicken, maybe they would be able to lap up enough blood to get some nutrients or minerals or iron out of the blood alone, which is interesting if you think about it. And that would certainly be perceived as it's drinking blood. Well, it's licking blood up because yeah. it's craving blood and not not able to chew the meat. So so there could be some biological reasons why these animals are killing chickens in unusual ways. But um, but again, I've traveled around. I, I did a TV show in Mexico called uh, for Science Channel on the Chupacabra. And there were several different things that we came across around Mexico that were being called Chupacabras. Uh, one was a deformed baby goat that was found dead. One was a, a, a cyclopean calf that had been born with one big eye in its head. That was a chupacabra. <laughs> and then finally, where I investigated mass attacks on goats, um, and they were pretty remarkable incidents because you had basically three different goat farms in this one region in Pueblo, Mexico, where something was coming into the goat pen and attacking and or killing dozens of goats in one night. Um, but not really eating them, just killing them. And that was a chupacabra. Uh, that last one I kind of speculated was actually a mountain lion and uh, displaying a very irregular behavior. And it has been documented, but it's very rare that there are basically mountain lion mass murderers that will go into a goat or sheep pen and just kill 
and snap and kill a lot of things. And um, it's pretty weird, but so anyway, so yeah, so again, but there's a sample size for you where there were like at least three or four different types of chupacabras as we traveled across Mexico and encountered different things. So um, I guess the bottom line is that I'd say that the original Puerto Rican chupacabra that people think about with the big eye, big alien-like eyes and the spikes going down the back and the reptilian features, I personally do not view that as a very likely cryptid. It just doesn't, it doesn't match anything in the animal kingdom. Um, there, I don't think there really have been a lot of reports, at least in recent years, we haven't heard much about it. Um, there's not a lot of body value. So, you know, I'm not saying there's not something to it because I always try to remain a little open-minded. So maybe there is some other phenomenon going on similar to Dogman and some of these really weird creatures that people report, but you know, it's not a, it's not a flesh and blood predator on the island of Puerto Rico that I think, you know, I, th I think a lot of the attacks in Puerto Rico could have been uh, attributed to uh, sickly dogs, just like the ones here. Maybe they had some dogs that looked like the ones here that were again, killing goats and chickens, but you know, not eating the meat. And that could have been part of the, the origin of the legend and so forth. So who knows? It's a great mystery. Hmm. Just curious. I can't remember offhand. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read it in one of uh, John Green's books that uh, way back in like uh, 1800s or earlier um, in Europe, there was uh, a lot of similar cases to the Puerto Rico stuff of the, the chickens and the goats being uh, killed and just drained of blood, but not eaten. I know it was in one of their, either John Green or, um, uh, the Lauren John Coleman. Ke I don't think it was Lauren Coleman. John Keel. I think it might be John Keel, John Keel or, or, um, John Green. I can't remember one of their, one of their books, but they, sure. they had written a lot about, these um they didn't obviously didn't call it chupacabra because this the book was written like in mm. 70s or something i don't remember but gotcha. um so that wasn't around then but the the same mo of this thing was was uh over in europe or something interesting i'm not sure if john green ever wrote about any cryptids other than bigfoot i, I could be wrong about that john keel may have later in life uh and other cryptid researchers um I can't think of too many cases in Europe, but I know that in Puerto Rico, there was something called the Vampire of Mocha mm -hmm. back in 1975 that was supposedly killing in a similar fashion. So, you know, people that say, well, the chupacabra disappeared in, in the 90s, you can go back and say, well, no, actually in Puerto Rico, there were chupacabra type attacks supposedly going on 20 years before that. Um, but I don't know. There's there are a lot of books out there that cover the subject. So mm -hmm. kind of off the top of my head, I, I'm not sure which one we might be talking about. But yeah, I can't remember. Uh, After you think about, it, I think it was Keel. Um, it was one of his books because <laughs> um, he covers a lot mm -hmm. of uh, weird yeah. Stuff Keel covers that... a lot of the weird things, Mothman, and mm -hmm. you know things like the Chupacabra. Absolutely. Yeah. I always like to look at uh, you know like Bigfoot or the Yeti or the Yaren and. Um, uh, I can't think anymore. Yowie, you know, every, every country around the world and stuff has these sightings of what is a very similar creature. So whenever we're looking at, you know, like Chupacabra or Mothman or, um, any Dogman or any of these things, if you look at the, the cultures around the world, a lot of these places have the exact same creatures and they, they call them different things. You know, 
Um, the United States is a really good example of, you know, every state has its own Bigfoot, but they call it something different and, and stuff. Sure. And yeah. um, uh, on the, the topic of Mothman, um, like you look at these things, like everyone knows the Point Pleasant Mothman and stuff. And then recently, I don't know if you heard all the stuff about the Chicago Mothman and the sightings there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've um, heard of that. But if you look at like some of these other things and you stop searching Mothman and you start searching like um, uh, like Owl Man or Winged Humanoid or uh, Giant Bat, stuff like that, you get the same descriptions of these creatures like the Ahul or um, is it the mm-hmm. Orang, not Orang Pendek, that's a Bigfoot. Um, I can't think of the other one I'm trying to think of, but there's there's other ones around the world that have this very similar MO to the Mothman. So yeah, do you, it's true. do you think that, um, like these creatures are the same? Cause we were just talking about like the Chupacabra was only really like, you don't have those type of sightings all over the world, but things like, like the Mothman you do. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if we're talking about winged cryptids in general, and I've written a couple of books on those, um, you know, I find that I get three basic types of reports of winged cryptids. Two are more specific to North America, or at least one. Okay, we'll start with one that's specific to North America is called the Thunderbird, which uh, seems to be connected to Native American legends of these giant super birds. And they're always described as having feathers, big hooked beak, dark color, massive wingspans, you know, 15, 20 feet across. That's one type. I get a lot of those reports. I also get reports of living pterosaurs, which are, of course, the bat-winged, flying reptiles from the Cretaceous and well actually they were around for about 150 million years ago starting in the Triassic Jurassic Cretaceous Um, they're not birds at all but they have these wings and they they supposedly died out 65 million years ago but I've interviewed many people that swear they've seen those flying around and then the third type is more like the weird flying humanoid types like Mothman and in that third category it seems that there's actually there are some similarities but I would say there are actually more differences in terms of like, um, for example, the owl man of England looks very different from the Mothman of the U S you know, they both are half man, half bird. Uh, they both have big eyes, red glowing eyes, but other than that, owl man smaller has more like an owl like feathered appearance around the world. You have other similar, you know, the Papa Bawa and the, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, the Ahul and so on, the Orangbati, I think that's the one you were trying to think mm-hmm. of earlier, the man bat. Um, so I don't know, the third category is really a problem as, in terms of, at least in terms of a zoological question, because you can't have that much variation within any type of species and they don't seem to be flesh and blood unknown animals. They seem to be kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the Puerto Rican chupacabra or the the Jersey Devil or Dogman, mermaids. I mean, some of these things are just so far out that you wonder, you know, what they could be. They're not animals, but there are such so many traditions around the world, as you said, that are similar. That's intriguing. So you wonder if it's other, or I wonder if it's some other type of phenomenon or mystery that's just beyond our comprehension that where these creatures appear and I don't know. It sounds weird, but, you know, I've interviewed witnesses that have seen these things and uh, they, they seem to be very sincere and credible. But, uh, you know, 
I don't know. I can't. I can't explain some of those really far out weird <laughs> creatures that are like Mothman and others. It's just, but you know, I'm I'm open minded that there is something to it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We just went down to uh, Chicago last year and did a whole uh, two part episode looking for the Chicago Mothman. And uh, whenever we go out looking for any kind of cryptids or something, you know, we, you know take it and just go look for it. You know, like if it's a, if it's a living being, you know, like Bigfoot, where is it going to live? What's it going to sound like? What's it eating and stuff. And we went down to Chicago and there's this huge stretch of forest that runs mm. parallel to the entire downtown Chicago. And I, I don't think that a lot of people realize that it's there because I didn't until we started looking into this. And this is about five miles of woods and it's about, uh, a couple city blocks wide. So it's not that okay. wide, but it's mm -hmm. long. And, uh, me and, uh, my other investigator, Derek, we hiked through a lot of that and stuff and, and looked through it and it gets pretty dense and pretty dark. Um, but the problem is, is with stuff like Mothman and stuff, there's just no, you know, people are seeing these things. We interviewed people that have seen them and they obviously saw something. These people are very credible, very honest. And, you know, they, they know what they saw in that, but there's no, there's no footprints. There's no evidence that comes up. You know, Bigfoot, you have possible stick structures. You have footprints. You have possible hair samples. You have vocalizations yeah. that have been recorded. Yeah. All this Lots evidence of, that right. goes with it. But yeah. what do we got on, on Mothman and these other, I mean, even open it up to any of these, the, um, you know, the pterosaurs and stuff like that. Do you have any evidence of these things at all other than witness accounts? There is, in terms of the Thunderbirds, there is one controversial film that was shot in July of 1977 at Lake Shelbyville, Illinois. And um, it just shows two big birds, uh, massive, but they look huge. I mean, they look bigger than a vulture or anything, but it's controversial because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to make a definitive conclusion, but you're right. There are no, I've never been, I've never seen any evidence in terms of Mothman photos, um, uh, footprints, um, you know, other physical trace evidence and things that you would look for. So that is a problem. Uh, I think you're right on about that. Now, I'd like to kind of piggyback on something you just said about Chicago, because um, I have a lot of maps on my walls. You can't <laughs> see them, unfortunately, right now, because they're over here on this side. But one of the things I do is I map locations of different types of sightings and try to correlate patterns based on physical descriptions or other things. And Illinois overall has a lot of winged cryptids, not just mm -hmm. the Chicago Mothman, but Thunderbirds and throughout the uh, Illinois pterosaur reports. But I've interviewed at least one gentleman that had a good Thunderbird sighting near Chicago. Um, so, you know, in one of those wooded areas, and I think I also have one good living pterosaur report from that same region. So that's another interesting aspect to the winged cryptid phenomena is there seems to be a lot of overlap, like where you have clusters of one type, you'll have the other two types or one of the other types, which doesn't really make sense unless there's only one thing flying around that people don't know what it is. And it's all comes down to just perspective and interpretation. So one person's Mothman is another person's Thunderbird or living pterosaur, if that makes sense. And it's just the way people we got to remember if you see anything like that you're obviously going to be in a very emotionally charged yeah. state i mean you're seeing something that you don't know what it is it shouldn't exist so i mean i can imagine that's a very emotional time 
and your adrenaline's pumping. And so it's, it's harder for people in that heightened state of emotion to accurately interpret and remember what it is they're seeing. They mm -hmm. see something giant with wings. So again, speculating here, mm -hmm. but maybe that's what's happening is there really is just one type of giant winged thing out there and people are just describing it different ways or interpreting it different ways, which makes mm -hmm. a little more sense. Although it's still even highly improbable that you could have a man-sized thing with 20-foot wingspans yeah. flying around, you know, without being seen more often or photographed more often or leaving more physical trace evidence because, you know, it's in the sky, it's in the air. It's not as easy to hide as something mm -hmm. like Bigfoot or something that lives under the water. So. Yeah, I was just going to say, they do say that they screech really mm -hmm. loud too and it's like nobody's ever recorded that you know they can record a bigfoot or whatever but they they don't think to record that that's a great point no oh. you're absolutely right um i at least i've never heard no. uh, you know a, a recording of that but you're right people have reported that that there's mothman mm -hmm. supposedly made kind of a squeaky mechanical noise mm -hmm. according to linda scarberry and some of the original witnesses um I guess I've heard of people talking about Thunderbirds and some of these others making loud squawks or, mm -hmm. or screeches or whatever. Um, but yeah, I've, no one's managed to capture that uh, mm -hmm. and, and record it as far as I know. So if we're talking about like these Thunderbirds and uh, pterosaurs and stuff actually existing, you would have to have some sort of breeding population or these things are living for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Do you see True. that like in your research and that of, of places you've investigated where it seems like there's enough reports to have a breeding population or what do you think as far as like their, their home range is? Yeah. So again, that's a, that's a big problem. And uh, you know, I, I appreciate that kind of questioning and challenging and critical thinking because those things have to be discussed. You know, it's just the laws of nature. Um, in terms of living pterosaurs, you know, and the, the sightings are all over North America and actually all over the world, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to address the North American pterosaur reports. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are certain concentrated areas. And one of those is South Texas, which is one of the reasons I live in San Antonio, because I've been investigating these living pterosaur reports since 2003. Um, there, we had a lot of those types of reports around San Antonio. And in fact, since I have it sitting on my desk, here is a newspaper clippings from 1976 where three school mm -hmm. teachers claim they saw two giant pterodactyls flying overhead. Okay, so that was in the local newspaper. Um, one theory about the pterosaurs that are mostly seen in southern Texas and parts of the American Southwest is they could actually live in Mexico and perhaps their habitat are the mountain ranges of Mexico, which you have uh, the Sierra Madres. Uh, there's two different ranges called the Sierra Madres. There's the Oriental and the Occidental. And they're pretty remote. I've actually been to and investigated flying cryptids in one of those mountain ranges south of Monterey. And it's pretty remote. I mean, you're, you're, there, you know, you're, you're out in the desert in the mountains and not a lot of people Excuse me. So, um, and um, years ago, I corresponded with a cryptozoologist named Richard Greenwell 
former secretary for the International Society of Cryptozoology. Sadly, he passed away of cancer about 2006, I believe. But before, before he did, we corresponded on the Living Pterosaur reports, and he told me that he had a contact in eastern Mexico who swore that they were there was a population of them living there. And then if you go back and look at some of the ancient Maya carvings and ruins on some of the uh there's like the ruins of um they're the ones near veracruz uh i can't it starts with a t i'm sorry it's escaping me right now um but tahin the ruins of tahin there there are actually pterodactyl like creatures that are carved in some of the ancient maya bas reliefs there <laughs> so again this is all just like fun speculation on my part but you know that's interesting that you have those clues you know, the Mayas documenting things that look like pterosaurs and then people saying there's populations of them in East Mexico and then you have a habitat that's pretty remote down there. So the, I guess the theory would be if they did exist, you know, they could live in those mountain ranges and maybe they're just traveling or migrating on occasion into South Texas or other parts of the United States and returning. But again, it, you know, from a scientific and zoological point of view, it sounds pretty you know, pretty impossible, you know, pretty impossible, very low probability, but not totally impossible. And I guess that's the, the funnest part of cryptozoology for me is a lot of things we talk about here, because science is never 100%, mm -hmm. you know, other than math and gravity, <laughs> pretty much everything in science is, you know, up for debate and controversial. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's possible that these things exist somewhere. Um, the Native, Native American Thunderbirds, you know, I don't know, some of those might be based on legends of condors or big eagles or different things. Um, but again, the, the Mothman and the flying humanoids, that's a whole nother level of strangeness. And to me personally, as a cryptozoologist, I tend to group that kind of phenomenon more with like, you know, paranormal UFOs and some of those really, you know, non-physical, metaphysical kinds of <laughs> things that go on. So. Well, looking at it from a zoological standpoint as well, like when you're looking at like the species like uh, birds and uh, even like monarch butterflies and stuff that migrate so far, I mean, you have, you're talking about these things living down in Mexico and stuff. These things are a lot bigger than a butterfly or a, you know, Canadian goose or something, especially if people are seeing them fly over in that. So it's point. not yeah. a, not a far stretch to think that these things could migrate from Mexico to Canada or something and back and people are just seeing them on the way. Um, I mean, like you said, you got the maps and stuff. Does that seem like there's a, a migratory path or like lines or anything? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can see patterns. I mean, in fact, you know, and I wish I could show you this map. It's on the other side of the room, but it's got all the winged cryptids mapped in North America. Um, my buddy Lyle Blackburn, who's also kind of a Bigfoot hunter, cryptozoologist, cryptid hunter kind of guy, he came over and was visiting me a couple years ago and he, he hadn't been to my apartment. And he walked in and he looked at my map of, he said, is that a map of winged cryptids? <laughs> I said, yeah, those are locations of winged cryptids and they're color coded so you can see what, and he looked at it for me and he said, you can see patterns there, like migration patterns. And I said, yeah, you can. <laughs> you know, that's, 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 <laughs> if you look at the map, it does look like there are like certain, you know, concentrations that go up. So, I mean, it's all subjective, but he saw it. I didn't bring it up. So yeah, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. It is possible that these things do migrate. Now, 
Um, something else worth pointing out, I think, and this is just my perspective, is it seems like as technology gets better and better, it seems like people are spending less and less time looking up, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where 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 is people's focus these days? Down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's down. <laughs> it's in front of their face or down. Mm -hmm. How much time do people spend these days just looking up in the sky? Back in the day, you know, or maybe when we were kids, when I was a kid, we could, you know, you look up at the sky because there's not as much to do. So, um, <laughs> so again, you know, speculation, but maybe there are maybe these things are occasionally flying over people's heads and they're just not mm -hmm. seeing it because they're just not looking up so how much looking up did you do as a kid <laughs> a lot yeah <laughs> right a lot of watching clouds and you know just yeah you know. watching clouds and yeah. looking at the sky and you know yeah. that's what we did so <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I ain't that old either, but like, I didn't spend that. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> Just looking at you. I didn't. Yeah, don't I, look at him. I grew up look in the, me. I grew up uh, playing in a big sandbox in the backyard. I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch TV. We didn't have cable or nothing. So, and we didn't have, we didn't have cell phones or nothing when I was growing no. up. So the internet was pretty much invented when I was in school. So, yeah. I mean, there you go. So we didn't, we didn't have a lot of the resources, you know, that people have today and, and I think it's very disappointing to kind of trail off topic here, but you know, like you have, you know, I got my cell phone here. You have the sum of all, all human knowledge is right mm -hmm. here. You can look up whatever you want, anytime, any place, anywhere. You can study anything you want, and people are watching stupid people on TikTok or cat mm -hmm. videos and stuff, and that's what you're doing with your time. You know, I mean, like yeah. you could you could do so much to better yourself and learn a skill, yeah. or you know, I mean, you don't have to spend a lot of money to go to college or, you know, do any of that stuff. Half the stuff you can learn right on your phone, you know, and, and people are like, hmm, yeah. kitties. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know what? To each their own, man. I don't judge, but I'm, you know, like you probably, I'm an information junkie. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's what I love about the internet and just something will occur to me and gee, I wonder, you know, what that is or what that does. And I just, I'd love to soak that all in, yeah. I, you know, but I, I enjoy a good TikTok video as well as the next guy, but you know, I, since we're getting into social commentary a little bit here, and, and I'm becoming the, the kind of the old grouchy guy now. <laughs> um, no, uh, seriously, a big problem I see with, you know, with, with, with the smartphone generation is they're really, they're, they're losing a lot of social interaction skills. I live mm -hmm. in an apartment complex here that's right next to a college campus in San Antonio. So a lot of my neighbors are college students. And if you say hi to them, it's like, you know, they freak out because they don't know how to, you know, yeah. <laughs> why are you talking? Uh, get, get my text. Send me a know, Snapchat. God. Head down facing the thing. And it's yeah. like, and, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to judge, but it's like, to me, that's a problem for our species because it's like, mm -hmm. hey, come on, mm -hmm. you know, you're my neighbor. We should be able to just say hi. And, and it's not like a really uncomfortable situation to do that, you know, mm -hmm. but. <laughs> You've yeah, seen the, the movie. Technology's taking over. I guess there's no way we can stop it because um, you know TikTok is and so forth. So, <laughs> you seen the movie Wally? -E? The little uh, robot. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah that's that. that's exactly where we're going uh, yeah. right there. We're all gonna that's sit in true. chairs and just ride around and yeah. No, I, I, that's a good one. <sighs> all right, man. We are almost at the end of this interview, and I really appreciate. It. I want to do a um, a real like rapid fire with you. Okay. Like just a quick little real, uh, just 
your your basic thoughts on these topics here. So we've we've covered uh, a little bit on Bigfoot. You haven't seen one, but you believe those things are probably real. Um, so we're gonna go down my. I have a little shelf of cryptids right here. <laughs> oh, sweet. can't see. They're all yeah, facing the they're knee. They're all facing the other way. Um, so uh, I guess first of all, do you think it exists? Or or we'll start with this easy question. Out of all the cryptids that you've investigated or anything, what is probably the one that you think is most likely to exist? Uh, the thylacine. Ah. Thylacinus sinocephalus, or Tasmanian tiger, Tasmanian wolf of Tasmanian, Australia. Yep, there you go. That's <laughs> I got it right there. Cryptid right there. We know they existed until 1936, and uh, a recent scientific survey based on all of the variables they predicted that they were probably at least alive until you know maybe 20 30 years ago so you know they should still be alive or at least some you know so i think they're very probable that they are out there in very small numbers cool all right uh mothman I mean, this is tough because I mean, I think there's something to it. I think I don't think people are just making it up, but I don't, you know, if you're asking me, is it a, is it a flesh and blood animal? No, absolutely not. It's uh, it's another type of phenomenon that has some validity to it. Okay. Does that, does that qualify as an answer? That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's something to it, but it's not an animal. Mm -hmm. It's not. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the dog man, you've touched on it a little bit. Same thing. There are actually a lot of parallels between Mothman and Dogman, and Dogman people don't want to hear about it because I have friends that are on Dogman world, and it's like, well, let's talk about the flying humanoids. Why? You know, it's because <laughs> I've studied both, and it's the same phenomenon. Mm -hmm. It's something is manifesting as a half man, mm -hmm. half bird, and sometimes it's a half man, half dog. Sometimes it might be a half man, half other animal, but it makes sense that whatever this mechanism this phenomenon is it just takes different forms and that's why you have so many different physical descriptions and it scares people they, they both yeah. terrify people that's what they're that's what they're intending to do for whatever reason at least with the dog man though you have like the um oh, what's the what's the big dogs the dire wolves you know mm -hmm. you have the the kind of fossil record to say that they might they're a little bit more credible to me at least than the mothman you know because you don't have these armed winged creatures you know well you have you certainly have large canids in north america but dire wolves actually had much shorter legs than modern wolves so they looked even less human-like when you make an argument or less likely to go up in their hind legs i guess is what i'm trying mm -hmm. to say um i don't know you know i mean people put other theories for dogman out there uh one that i think is fascinating is if you took a giant baboon and took its tail off it would look exactly like dogman baboons run on their hind legs and they have that wolf-like muzzle and there were prehistoric baboons like dinopithecus that were huge but they all had a long tail and i guess that's the maybe the non -star. i don't hear a lot of dogman reports where people talk about a big long tail but um, interesting yeah how about maybe a little more i don't know if it is more probable than mothman we can go off on a whole tangent here so you oh, yeah. keep oh going yeah all right keep going i think i think it's the same phenomenon i think i from what i hear it seems like something that just takes different forms half all right man half something mm -hmm. i got one for you okay hopkinsville goblin 
Oh yeah. <laughs> what good, what I, do you think of those guys? Cool. Where'd you get that action? <laughs> I got you this. I got this at CryptidCon. Uh, uh, they were down at uh, CryptidCon. They were three D printing oh, yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that from Geraldine? I don't, I don't know. Geraldine Stith Sutton, the woman who was there. Okay. Uh, don't know. Um, don't know. <laughs> so. I'll tell you what the Hopkinsville goblins were not. They were not monkeys that had been spray painted silver, which was one of the theories that came out at the time. And I write about that in my book. It's like, that's, a, that's almost more ludicrous than anything else. Um, but, you know, they're aliens or ETs or again, and it might be something related to these other phenomena we're talking about, non-physical. Um, but it seems like there really was something that, 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 that attacked that property that particular evening. Um, I've spoken to Geraldine, who, like I said, she was a kid when that happened, but she was there and her parents were terrified that, you know, there was something that was, that was out, out to get them. So. All right. Two more. What okay. about puck wedgies? Puck wedgies. Like... Um, yeah. Those might be related to, I, mean, we're, I think we're talking about little foot, basically when you talk Pretty about much, anything yep. humanoid and small, and I have a whole chapter in my book, The Essential Guide to Bigfoot, dedicated to Littlefoot, because I've, as I've traveled across the continent, I've spoken to mostly Native American people from different cultures that all have stories and traditions of little people, the little ones. Uh, and they sound kind of like little Bigfoots. They're usually hairy, powerful, aggressive, and um, the Pukwudgies seem to fall into that category. So I think the Pukwudgies are probably a, uh, a North Atlantic. Uh, well, I know, I know the, I know in Indiana it's a big thing, and also in some of the New England states. I think I can't remember what tradition we're talking about, but yeah, puck wedgies are probably like a little foot type thing, and sure they might exist. Cool, and again, another book that you've written, so we're gonna keep it nice and short. But uh, Nessie and other lake monsters. Oh yeah, the essential guide to Loch Ness monsters, my newest book. Yes, I think there's something there. I think it's one species spread across the con uh, the, uh, the globe. Uh, I don't think it's a plesiosaur or any type of surviving prehistoric reptile. I think it's a giant, uh, well, all giant, but I think it, if, if anything, it's a surviving type of prehistoric whale known as a bacillosaur or a zooglodon, which is basically like a long snake-like whale that can be 40 to 60 feet long, has a horse-like head. And that kind of fits the descriptions of these Nessie and other lake monsters. Hmm. Interesting. I've never heard that. Got one on me. Did <laughs> you read his book? No. I, ha I have. We have both read your essential guide to Bigfoot uh, because you oh, were supposed to you. be. We, you were supposed to be speaking last year at the uh, Marinette That's Menominee right. Bigfoot Convention. And uh, we, we picked up a copy of your book and everything before that and read it. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And uh, it's it's really good. I, I really thought it was very, I mean, it nice. covers everything. Like, it's it's very well done. So I'm really looking forward to reading your uh, uh, Nessie one as well. And I do have a copy of well, it. thank you. It. Yeah. Yep. Thank I, you. I just recently got a, I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off no. there, but um, I recently got a review of the Essential Guide to the Loch Ness Monster via email. And the review was written by a guy named Henry Bauer, who wrote a book about Nessie back in the 1980s mm -hmm. that's very famous. And he's a college professor from Virginia. And I didn't even know he was still alive. He's in his 90s. Wow. And that to me was such an amazing honor that this guy, I grew up 
reading his Nessie book and he's and he he read my book and uh, he gave it a, a a fair review. He liked it, but he did point out some fair criticisms. And but anyways, that that was pretty cool for me. And mm -hmm. uh, those are the things I live for when you have those those kinds mm -hmm. of moments in life. So. The little validations of. So yeah, it's a, I think it's a good book. I mean, uh, I, the foreword to the book is written by a guy named Steve Feltham, okay. who has been researching the Loch Ness Monster for 30 years there on Loch Ness. And he also said it was a pretty good book. So, uh, I, you know, I'm proud of it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I look forward to it. I mean, if it's anything as good as the, the Bigfoot one, it should be a really good read. So you got to get awesome. your books out on audiobook because I... I <laughs> Yeah. I do a lot of, uh, I work all day for like 12 hour shifts and, uh, I sit and listen to podcasts or audiobooks all day. So I don't have a lot of time to sit down oh. and actually read a, a physical book. And I, I did. So, I mean, if that means anything to you, I read your other books. So. <laughs> well, thank you. The essential guide to Bigfoot is an audiobook format. That's the I know one. it's the only one. And I actually <laughs> read it and I went on, I went on audible and I'm like, Ken Gerhard. Oh, sure. The one book I actually read. <laughs> Uh, sorry guys, audiobooks are incredibly expensive to make. Mm -hmm. Just so you understand, that's the it's the economics of it. So, so I, you know, hopefully to get there someday, but you have to hire a narrator, and it takes a lot of time and editing, and so that's why. But hopefully, we'll get there at some point. So, what I need you to do between now and the con is sit down and read the book on an audio recorder and just bring it for me if you could. So, I mean, that's okay. I, I would really appreciate that. So. <laughs> We'll figure something out. Just read this okay, book to me. Yeah, I'm just going to, hey, you just hang tight here after this interview. You can read it to me live right now. <laughs> All right, cool, man. I, I really appreciate oh, awesome. you taking the time. Um, and I, I hopefully will have that book read before I see you again. <laughs> I read well, the flying one, well, the flying oh, yeah. cryptids or whatever, the dinosaurs and stuff, the pterosaurs and all that. I read that yeah, book. Yeah, I'll have all lately. those books with me uh, at, at, the, at the festival in uh, Mar Marinette Menominee, right? Am Correct. I saying that yep. right? Okay, looking yep. forward Marinette to that, Menominee. guys. June 4th yeah. in uh, Upper Michigan, right on the border there. Um, Perfect. I just reserved your hotel, so you're all set. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm getting excited. It's going to mm -hmm. be a good good time definitely so this uh we're recording this back in uh, march right now but this will probably come out in uh mid-may so given your schedule and stuff offhand do you know any other events that you got coming up uh from like say the beginning of may through the rest of the year that you want to help promote oh let's see um in may i will be at the smoky mountain bigfoot festival in townsend tennessee i'll be at the first ever alabama bigfoot conference in oxford alabama I will be at the, um, you, you guys have, oh, I'll be at the, um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's one down in Michigan also, mm -hmm. West Branch, Michigan. Oh, yep. I think Bigfoot Days, Bigfoot Days or something like that. Um, sorry, I don't have my calendar here in front of me. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the, you know, then your event. And then I'll also be speaking at uh, the Haunted America Conference oh, in Alton, yeah. Illinois. Van Mater? So, yeah. I'm sorry? Van Mater Festival? I think you're there. Oh, not, I'm not going to be, I'm afraid I'm not going to be at Van oh, Mater this year. Sorry. I'll be at the Minnesota Bigfoot Conference in October up in upstate Minnesota, uh, Grand Prairie, I believe. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, I've got several events coming up uh, over the summer. 
Very cool. So much like me, it's hard to remember where everyone's going to be. So where <laughs> where can we go online and find those dates and locations? Where can we find oh, awesome, you? Awesome, guys. Thank you. So uh, I have a website, KenGerhard.com. Um, I'm also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I have a YouTube channel. Uh, so yeah, just if people Google me, they should be able to get that info. So Cool. Awesome. Well, I will make sure I get as many of those links into our show notes as I can so that people can find those and we can find them for you. And uh, make sure you go check out Ken Gerhard at any of his uh, live events, especially June 4th up in uh, Marinette Menominee, Michigan, the Bigfoot Paranormal Convention. You will be speaking with myself and Sheetan Noor and Allison Jornlin and Mary Sutherland. Cool. That sounds like a great, great group. I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Very cool. Well, again, I want to thank you for being on the show today and giving us your time and uh, safe travels wherever you go and all your events. And until next time, guys, I am Barnaby. I'm Ma. I'm Ken Gerhard. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll see you next time, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Whispers from the Dark. To find out more about cryptids, anomalies, and the Paranormal Society, visit us at our website at wisconsincaps.com. That's wisconsincaps.com. There you can find links to all of our social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and our Patreon. You will see links to our online store as well, where you can get t-shirts, DVDs, and more. If you click on the public events page, you can find out where you can meet us in person and all the public events we have coming up. If you enjoy our podcast or our YouTube shows, please consider becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Wisconsin Caps. There you can find behind-the-scenes pictures and videos from all of our media, as well as bonus footage and evidence that we have collected. If you have encountered something you can't explain, we want to hear from you. Visit our website and click on Submit a Report on our main screen. You can choose to leave your contact information or simply remain anonymous. You can also reach us via email at wisconsincaps at gmail.com. If you would like to be a guest on our show, please contact us on our Whispers from the Dark podcast page on Facebook, or send us an email at wisconsincaps.com. Remember to like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen or watch or find us.